Nathan and Lori Williams had what many people would consider an ideal family. They were blessed with two boys. Both were great athletes. Both were great students. Wesley, the oldest, had already started playing college ball. Brett, the youngest, even though he had several more years of high school, had just signed a letter of intent to play baseball at USC. But then that day happened. I want to read to you their words. That day, our life changed forever began when Brett became sick with just a cough and a cold, or so we thought. He went through a couple of days at school and even went to discipleship with his baseball coach in a basketball game on Friday night. On Saturday, Brett asked for me to take him to the doctor, and so we went. He was diagnosed with flu B. Sunday came, and he continued to feel bad. We thought he had bronchitis, so we took him to the family doctor on Monday who gave him some medications for symptoms. He progressively got worse throughout the night, and we ended up at the emergency room early Tuesday morning. The whole time we waited in the emergency room, we were certainly concerned but thought he was going to be fine. When he finally got back and his vitals were checked, we knew things were serious. But again, not to the point that we thought he wouldn't be okay. After admitted, the doctor told us Brett was a very sick young man and, and he had severe pneumonia. Brett asked us, am I going to be okay? I said, yes, baby, you're going to be fine. Never even thinking that was the last of our time together. Even riding with him in the ambulance to Richland Children's Hospital, I really thought all was going to be good and he was going to come out of this. We prayed and prayed, prayed for his healing while he lay in the hospital bed begging for God to give him the strength he needed to come out of this. God had other plans. At 1.03 p.m. on Tuesday, January the 17th, our 16-year-old baby boy went home to be with Jesus. Pain so great, so unimaginable began to take hold. That day was so surreal, so odd, so hurtful, so not what we thought God had planned for Brett's bright future or for us as parents or Wesley, his brother. We now had to face the reality of life without him. How could we possibly do that? At the children's hospital, we remember so many people in the waiting room praying and just being there with us and for us. The support we had from our family, friends, church body, and Brett's friends was tremendous and such a blessing. Pastor Rocky was there with us in the hospital room, and after Brett passed, he talked with us, consoling us with such a genuinely hurting and caring heart for us. He shared Isaiah 57, 1 with us there in the consolation room. What a comfort and blessing to have him there. We remember having to go out to the waiting room to make the announcement that Brett had passed away. Even in that moment, God had given us the strength we needed to share such hurtful news. News and, and a reality that without Jesus and the hope we have in him, we would surely not have been able to even have the physical strength to stand we know for certain that without Christ we would not have the strength that we have today we don't know how anyone 
could ever get through such a loss, such a hurt on their own without him. In the days to come, we would need more and more of his strength. And he provided just that through prayer, scripture, friends, and even music with messages of hope and peace. That night after Brett passed, Nathan and I discussed how something like this will either bring a family closer or tear them apart. And we knew that we were not going to let this tear us apart. That we needed God to get us through this season in our lives. Although the aching in our heart continues as we think of Brett, God has surrounded us with such supportive, caring praying friends and family that he uses to provide strength for us we continue to praise him for all that he is and all that he does and although we don't understand God's plan we know that he has the power to sustain us and continue to get us through every second every minute minute and hour of every day month and now and even years we look forward to the day when we will see Jesus face to face and when we will be reunited with Brett. Oh, what a day of praising and rejoicing that will be. This morning we're continuing our series that we've called That Day. How do we stand when our life falls apart? Because the fact of the matter is life is tough, life is difficult, life is hard, life is painful. Since Adam sinned and rebelled against God's rule, we have been broken. The world that we live in has been broken and everything on planet earth has been broken. And because of this, life is full of losses. Life is full of disappointment, pain, and sorrow. So how do we make it through that day? The worst day we could ever imagine when that day the worst day becomes a reality how do we make it through well just like Nathan and Laurie and Wesley went through that day so did Job in a matter of hours we've discovered that Job lost all of his possessions he lost all of his wealth and all of his children in a tragic accident then shortly after that he was stricken with some kind of disease that began to eat away of him, at him from the outside and from the inside. And yet, in the midst of all of his loss, in the midst of all of his pain, all of his sorrow, Job never turned his back on God. His first response wasn't even to ask God why. His first response to that day was to worship. In chapter 1, we're told that Job tore his robe. He fell to the ground in grief. He shaved his head, and then he worshipped. He worshipped. Job said this, Naked I came into this world. Naked I will leave. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I am convinced. I am convinced that it is this attitude of worship that was the foundation that sustained Job in the days, in the weeks, in the months, and even the years that was ahead. You see, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we must never stop worshiping, even when we don't understand. 
We must never stop worshiping even when we don't feel like it because it is our worship that is going to sustain us, strengthen us, and see us through. But today I I want us to move to something else and I want us to talk about a reality that to be honest with you, many of us are uncomfortable with and that reality is grief. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 20 again. That, that passage starts off like this. Job stood up. He tore his robe in grief. Job was overcome with grief. The dictionary defines grief as deep sorrow, especially that caused by, by someone's death. But the reality is we can grieve a whole lot of things. We can grieve the loss of a marriage. We can grieve the loss of our health. We can grieve the loss of a job. We can grieve the loss of a dream. But for some reason, many of us, and and I would dare say most of us, are uncomfortable with grief. We're uncomfortable to be around people who are grieving And when we're going through that grief ourselves, we are uncomfortable with how we feel. We just want the grief to go away. We want someone to come in and fix the grief. And yet, the Bible teaches us that God created us in such a way that grief is a vital part of our healing process when we experience loss. If you and I want to heal when we have lost something or someone, we must grieve to heal. That's why Jesus said in in the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who grieve. You see, the Bible teaches us that that our grief brings comfort. Our grief brings healing. You see, God doesn't expect us to be happy all the time. Some of us have that idea. We have that belief that when we become believers, we're supposed to always be happy. We're supposed to always be smiling. We're supposed to always be cheerful. We're supposed to always be laughing. And yet Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Now, for me, as I have been going through this grieving process, it's helped me to better understand the process a little better so that I know what I'm going through and I know what's ahead and and I know what it's going to look like in the end. And to be honest with you, apart from the Bible, which is the best resource that we have to learn how to deal with grief and to better understand grief, there is a book that was written in 1969 by a Swiss psychiatrist by the name of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. The book was entitled On Death and Dying. And apart from the Bible, that's probably the best resource that, that we can have to to better understand the grief process. And in that book that that she wrote, as she studied people who were, were dying and people who had died, she discovered that grief had five 
steps. The first step was denial. And denial is when you first learn of that loss, you begin to think in your mind, this isn't happening. You're filled with shock. You're, you're numb. And, and the reason is because this is our body's temporary way of, of helping us make it through the initial part of that tragedy. And so as it initially happens, our initial response is we're numb, we're denying, we're in shock. Eventually that denial for many people turns into anger. The reality sets in. We feel frustrated, we feel helpless. And for some people those feelings of frustration eventually turn to anger. Sometimes that anger is directed at other people. At other times, the anger is directed at God. Sometimes the anger is directed at life in general. Sometimes the anger is directed at the person who died. We're angry at them for leaving us like they did. Denial. Anger. The third step is bargaining. This, this is where we begin to try to figure out what we could have done to change things. When we're going through this stage, we say things like, if only I would have. Or what if I could have. And we even kind of try to strike a deal with God. God, give me another chance. God, give me a, a second try. Give me a do-over. And then after we bargain, we oftentimes go through depression. Sadness sets in as we begin to understand that this is real, that the loss is real. Some of the signs of depression are crying. We have a tough time sleeping. Our appetite is decreased. We feel overwhelmed. We feel regretful. We feel lonely. And eventually we come out of that and we have acceptance. And acceptance is when we finally come to terms with the reality of our loss. When we accept, it's not saying everything is going to be okay, but when we accept, it's when we get to that point where we're going to go, in spite of my pain, in spite of my hurt, it's going to be all right. I'm going to make it through. Now, I've got to be honest with you. As, as I read through those stages of grief, there were some things that I recognized in my life that were very clear. And if you have gone through grief yourself, if you have experienced the loss of someone you love, there are probably things that I said in those stages of grief that you related to. Unfortunately, there are some people out there who just want us to get over our grief. But let me just say to you, you never get over your grief, you get through your grief. You adjust, you adapt, you begin to experience a new normal. For people who have experienced loss, they never get over the loss. The loss is, is always there. There are some people who, when the grief comes, they just want to block it out. But let me just say to you, if you don't let your grief out, you will act out on your grief. Your grief will take over you. 
Now last week we discovered that when Job hit rock bottom, he had three friends who, who traveled a distance and they came and sat with him for seven days without saying a word. And we discovered last week that if they would have stayed in that situation, everything would have been great. But these three friends determined that, that they needed to give Job advice. They needed to give Job counsel. And they needed to tell Job why he was going through this. And instead of helping Job, they hurt Job. And that's what we need to understand as people that come to console those who are hurting, who are deeply grieving. Those people don't need our counsel. They don't need our wisdom. They need our presence. At the end of the seven days, Job began to talk. He began to speak and he began to express his grief. Now it's important for us to look back because as we take a look at Job's grief, some of you who have a tendency to be self-righteous are going to think, Job shouldn't have felt that way. But you need to understand that God described Job as a blameless man, a man of integrity. A man who feared God. A man who stayed away from evil. And so this man, Job, who was going through this deep grief, was the most godly man living at the time. And yet, we read in the book of Job, for a lot of the book, this incredible deep grief that he went through. Now, to be honest with you, we're going to read a lot of Scripture. And you can follow along in your Bible. You can follow along on the screen. But you need to get the picture of what Job was going through. Because he was blameless. Man of integrity. He feared God. He stayed away from evil. And yet, this is how he felt. So, let's... Read God's word. Job chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. At last Job spoke. And he cursed the day of his birth. He said, let the day of my birth be erased and the night I was conceived. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost even to God on high. Let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim that day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it. Let the darkness terrify it. Let that night be blotted off the calendar. Never again to be counted among the days of the year. Never again to appear among the months. Let that night be childless. Let it have no joy. Let those who are experts at cursing, whose cursing could rouse Leviathan, curse that day. Let its morning stars remain dark. Let its hope for light, but in vain. May it never see the morning light. Curse that day for failing to shut my mother's womb, for letting me be born to see all this trouble. Why wasn't I born dead? 
Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why was I laid on my mother's lap? Why did she nurse me at her breast? Had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep and at rest, and I would rest with the world's kings and prime ministers whose great buildings now lie in ruins. I would rest with princes rich in gold whose palaces were filled with silver. Why wasn't I buried like a stillborn child? a baby who never lives to see the light for in death the wicked cause no trouble and the weary are at rest even captives are at ease in death with no guards to curse them rich and poor are both there the slave is free from his master but why give light to those in misery and life to those who are bitter they long for death and it won't come they search for death more eagerly than for hidden treasures they're filled with joy when they finally die and rejoice when they find the grave why is life given to those with no future those God is surrounded with difficulties I cannot eat for sight my groans pour out like water what I always feared has happened to me what I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. Then Job chapter 6, verse 1. Then Job spoke again, if, if my misery could be weighed and my troubles be put on the scales, they would outweigh all the sands of the sea. Verse 6, don't people complain about unsalted food? Does anyone want the tasteless white of an egg? My appetite disappears when I look at it. I gag at the thought of eating it. Oh, that I might have my request that God would grant my desire. I wish he would crush me. I wish he would take out his hand and kill me. Verse 11, I don't have the strength to endure. I have nothing to live for. Do I have the strength of a stone? Is my body made of bronze? No, I'm utterly helpless without any chance of success. Job chapter 7 verse 13. I think my bed will comfort me and sleep will ease my misery, but then you shatter me with dreams and terrify me with visions. I would rather be strangled. Rather die than suffer like this. I hate my life and don't want to go on living. Oh, leave me alone for my few remaining days. Job 13, verse 20. Oh, God, why do you turn away from me? Why do you treat me as your enemy? Job 16, verse 7. Oh, God, you have drowned me down and devastated my family. Chapter 16, verse 16, my eyes, they are red with weeping. Dark shadows circle my eyes. Chapter 17, verse 7, my eyes are swollen with weeping, and I am but a shadow of my former self. My days are over. My hopes have disappeared. My heart's desires are broken. 
Job 19, verse 13. My relatives stay far away. My friends have turned against me. My family is gone. My close friends have forgotten me. My servants and maids consider me a stranger. I am like a foreigner to them. When I call my servant, he doesn't come. I have to plead with him. My breath is repulsive to my wife. I'm rejected by my own family. Even young children despise me. When I stand to speak, they turn their backs on me. My close friends detest me. Those I loved have turned against me. Job 21, verse 7. Why do the wicked prosper? Growing old and powerful. They live to see their children grow up and settle down. They enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are safe from every fear. God doesn't punish them. Job 29, verse 1. Job continued speaking, I I long for the years gone by when God took care of me, when he lit up the way before me and I walked safely through the darkness. When I was in my prime, God's friendship was felt in my home. The Almighty was still with me and my children were around me. The truth is, when you read those verses, you discover that Job's grief was overwhelming. And yet, when I read those words, I've got to be honest with you. I identify with so many of them. The thoughts, the feelings, the pain. The hurt, the questions that Job had, I have had, and I have. Just just walk with me through what it says. Job says, I wished I were dead. I have nothing to live for. This doesn't mean that he was suicidal. It simply expresses the depth of his hurt, the depth of his pain. You can want to die and not be suicidal. You can wish that you just went to sleep at night and and it was all over. That's how Job felt. He had no hope. He felt like everything that was important to him was gone. His worst fears had become a reality. Sometimes we, we, we visualize in our mind, what is the worst possible thing that could happen? Job was living the worst possible thing. He had no peace. He had no appetite. Food just was no longer appealing to him. He had no strength. It was a chore. It was a task getting out of bed in the morning. He felt helpless he couldn't sleep when he did fall to sleep because his body was so tired he would dream dreams and would wake up in tears he was constantly crying he couldn't stop crying I've got to be honest with you not a week has gone by since my son died that that I haven't cried I mean deep guttural cries I I know for the last three weeks not a day has gone by that I haven't cried I mean I see a picture 
brings back a memory. I cry. We meet someone new. This past, this past week, a, a lady came over to our house to, to meet my wife or something. And when she came in, she was looking at our picture wall. And, and she said, I, I know that guy. I went to school with him, and it was Josh. And we were able to talk, and, and she didn't know that Josh had passed away. And, and, and it, was a, it was a good time for us, but, but I've got to be honest. When my wife went in the kitchen with her, I went into the bedroom and I just cried. Constant tears. He, he felt God was distant, that God didn't care. He felt all alone. Even as his friends were sitting there with him, he felt alone. You see, sometimes you need to understand when people are grieving, it's not a matter of, of them needing people around them to take the loneliness away. The loneliness is going to be there even when they are in a room filled with people. Job longed for days gone by, the good old days, when, when God's blessings were evident on his life. He wished, he wished that things could go back to to the way they were before that day. And I read Job's words. And I realize that so much, not all of it, but so much that Job felt I am feeling. And I'm sure, I'm sure that for those of you who are here who experienced the loss of someone you love, you have gone through grief, you have felt the same way. It's, it's natural. But what you need to understand is that grief, even though it's painful, it's something that we need to go through. If we don't go through the grief, we're not going to make it through the grief. If we try to avoid the grief, if we try to shut out the grief, if we try to act like we're not really grieving, it's not going to help us, it's going to hurt us. And so as we wrap this up, what I want to do is, is I want to give you four truths about grief. We, we don't have time to unpack these. But there are truths that you need to understand. The first one is this, grief is normal. Grief is normal. It's normal for everyone. Abraham grieved when he lost his wife. David grieved when he lost his son. Jesus grieved when he lost a friend. That one's unusual to me. I mean, here's Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus back to life. And yet, when Mary and Martha were there hurting, the Bible says that Jesus cried and cried and cried. Jesus experienced grief. Ecclesiastes 3 verses 1 and 4 says this, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven. There's a time to cry, and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to grieve, and there's a time to dance. Sometimes the only logical thing for you to do is grieve. You don't push it down, you let it out. You don't fake it and move on, you face it and go through it. If you never grieve, it means one of three things. 
It means you are out of touch with reality or you're out of touch with yourself or you don't even know what it means to love. Because to love someone and lose someone brings grief. So grief is normal. Second, grief is helpful. I've already shared with you what Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who grieve, for they will be comforted. But I, I want you to listen to a verse that, that Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes. And to be honest with you, it's a, it's a strange verse. It's a weird verse. But listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 7, beginning in verse 2. He says, it's better to spend your time at funerals than at parties. After all, everyone dies. So the living should take this to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. A wise person thinks a lot about death, while a fool thinks only about having a good time. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means what it says. Death is something that we're all going to face. And so if we don't prepare for it, we're not going to be ready for it. Uh, understand, look at me, either you are going to know what it's like to grieve, or you are going to be the one that someone is grieving over. Did you hear me? Either you're going to know what it's like to grieve because you're going to lose someone or before you ever lose someone, you're going to be lost and there are going to be people grieving for you. You see, death is going to happen. And some of you young people, look at me. Some of you are sitting there and you're 13 and 14 and 16 and 17 and 18 and, and you're thinking, man, I got plenty of time. This is never going to hit me. I want you to know that, that Nathan and Laurie and Wesley never thought in a million years it would hit their 16-year-old son. I, I never thought that it would hit my 25-year-old son, but it did. We need to understand that death is something we're going to face. And then Solomon said this. He said there's this refining power that comes from those who grieve, from those who experience sorrow. I've got to be honest with you. Before I experience loss, my heart hurt for people who are going through loss. But I really didn't have a clue. And I still don't have a clue what each and every individual is experiencing when they go through grief and when they are experiencing loss. But I know what it's like to lose. And that's done something to me. It is doing something to me. And in the end, it is going to be helpful, not only for me in making me the person that God wants me to be, it's going to be helpful as I am able to step in and sit with those who are going through the same thing in their life.
grief is helpful. Third, when we're going through grief, we need to know that God cares. It may not feel like it. You may be like Job and feel like God has just forgotten you. That God's not answering you. You may feel like God is devastating you. But understand, look at me. That's how you feel. And your feelings are not your reality. The truth of the matter is, is that God cares for you. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your hurt, God cares. It says this in Psalm 56 verse 8. You, God, keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. Wow. God not only knows all of my sorrows and he has written them down. God has taken every tear I have ever cried and he has put it in a bottle and he has kept it as a reminder. God cares. In Psalm 34 verse 18 it says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. In Hebrews 4 verses 14 and 15 it says, So since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, Jesus he understands our weakness, for he has faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. In Isaiah 53, verse 3, this is what it says about Jesus. Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. God cares. God understands. So in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrow, in the midst of your deepest grief, even when it feels like God is a thousand miles away, He's not. Trust me, He's not. He's right there holding you. Not sitting beside you. He's right there holding you. And then finally, grief is temporary. In Psalm 30, verse 5, it says, Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now, let me explain what I mean when I say grief is temporary. When I say temporary, I'm not talking about this side of eternity. You're never going to get over your grief. You never get over losing someone you love. You adjust. You, you adapt. You you learn how to keep going, but you never get over it. I can't imagine a, a, a time in, in history, this side of Jesus coming back, that I will not look at a picture of my son and miss him, and long for him to be with me. I can't imagine not having that desire to want to hug him one more time. I can't imagine, I, and this is just me, I can't imagine not asking those questions, what if, why didn't I? But praise God. Grief is temporary. And though through God's strength and 
the power of the Holy Spirit of God, we can adjust and we can adapt and we can get used to a new normal. There is coming a day, listen, there is coming a day when all grief will be a distant memory. It won't even be a distant memory. It will be thrown into the deepest sea and we will never remember it no more. That's why the Apostle Paul said, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to grieve like those who have no hope. We have this future hope. Some of us have a a future hope of of being reunited, of, of one day seeing those we love again, knowing that we're going to be with them for all eternity. There are others of us who, who may have this future hope that one day God is going to wipe away every tear and all sorrow and all pain will be a thing of the past. But here's what I know. For those of us who know Jesus, grief is temporary. And it may be tough. And your season of grief may be years. But if you know Jesus, I'm here to tell you, it's temporary. And one day he will make everything new and he will wipe away all our tears. Aren't you thankful for that? I am. Because if it weren't for that, then I... I I don't know how I could make it. If this world was the only thing that my hope was built on, then I wouldn't have hope. If this world was it, then our grief would last forever. But it's not. It doesn't have to be. But it will be, unless we have Jesus. Here's what I know. I'm in the midst of grief. I'm not going to put on the smiley face and the cheerful attitude and the laughing jokes. I am in the midst of grief. Praise God. Praise God. Joy comes in the morning. Praise God, I know who my Redeemer is, and He lives, and I know I will see Him. If you don't know Jesus, you you don't have that. If you don't have a relationship with Him, you don't have that. I'm not talking about, have you read about Him in this book? That's not what I'm talking about. Everybody in here has some knowledge of Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, do you know Him? Does He live in you? Has something happened inside of you that has changed you from the inside out? Has Jesus made you brand new? Because I'm here to tell you, you're not going to make it when that day happens if He isn't. You may fake it, you may push through, but you're not going to make it. You're only going to make it if you know Jesus. So do you know him? Do you really know him? I want you to bow your head with me. I want you to close your eyes, and with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I want you to know... (laughs) 
Jesus loves you. And he wants to help you. He wants to walk with you through your darkest days. And he will. But he can't unless you let him. For you to let him, you have to humble yourself. You have to acknowledge your rebellion against him. Your sin against him. You're going to have to admit that. You're going to have to come to the point in your life where you realize that your best efforts aren't good enough to make up for the bad in your life. And you have to believe that God sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on a cross for my sins and for your sins. And you have to ask him to save you. You have to ask him to forgive you. And you have to turn your life over to him. And when you do, he really will change your life. And it's not, it's not saying that you'll walk outside and the sky will be a lot bluer, the grass will be a lot greener, and there won't be any more problems. It's just saying in the midst of the pain of life, the God of all creation will be there with you. And you'll know it. You'll know it. You'll know it. And so if you're here and you've never given your heart and life to Him, and you're ready to do that, then let me encourage you to humbly pray this prayer to him right now. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly acknowledging my sin. I've lived life my way. I've acted as if I were God. You weren't. sorry I'm tired of living that way God I believe you sent Jesus to die on a cross to pay for all my sins I believe Jesus defeated death by being resurrected I believe Jesus is my only hope right here right now Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. Come into my heart. Take control of my life. Do what I can't do. Make me brand new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your presence. Thank you, Jesus, for healing.